Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This Day in Crime is released every day, Monday through Saturday. For ad-free listening and exclusive bonus content, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfootplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the show. I'm Todd McComas, and it's Monday. To be more exact, President's Day. A federal holiday originally established in 1885 to recognize the birthday of the very first U.S. president, George Washington. But obviously that part of the holiday has lost its luster as of late. If you have social media or a TV, you know the office of U.S. president isn't held in the same high regard as it once was. So now President's Day is regarded by most as a day off work or the best day of the year to buy a discounted mattress. But I'm not off work today, and neither is our lead producer, Sean Nerney. So let's dive into some crime news. Here's my lead-in. Don't kill the messenger. Not the last samurai. A Dollar Tree crime spree. A catfish murder for hire. An ashy funeral director. And a man blinded by love. All coming up on this Day in Crime. My mom always told me, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. This first story would be a good example of why that's a wise philosophy. A Nebraska woman was charged with stabbing and choking her house guests after they said her house was dirty. 24-year-old Tatiana Iniguez had some friends over to her Lincoln, Nebraska home. Everyone was having a great time until one of her friends commented on the uncleanliness of her house, at which point Tatiana started choking her out. According to police, when a second woman tried to step in, Tatiana punched her in the back of the head. Then she grabbed what was described as a very large knife and stabbed the woman who made the original remark about her house being dirty. And when officers arrived on the scene, they found the very large knife and an abnormal amount of dead mice and dog shit throughout the house. So her friend wasn't wrong. Her house was unclean. And I know what my mom says, but from how the police described the condition of the home, how do you not bring that up? I mean, we don't know how her friend said it or even what she said specifically. So maybe she mentioned it out of concern. Like, hey, Tatiana, thanks for having us over, but I couldn't help but notice all the dead mice and dog shit everywhere. Everything okay? Did you recently get a really scary cat that I'm not aware of? I got back-to-back Florida man stories for you, so buckle up. Florida Man story number one comes at you from Daytona Beach, where a man accused of attacking his friend with the samurai sword is still on the run. Here's what happened. 
25-year-old Walter Grimes stopped by his friend's apartment to hang out. His friend told police that Walter was in a bad mood about being homeless and having to carry his belongings everywhere that he goes. The friend also stated that at some point during his visit, Walter asked him to give him his Xbox. I'm not sure what an Xbox does for him if he's homeless. Just seems like another thing he'd have to carry around everywhere, but whatever. The friend said he told Walter he was not going to give him his Xbox, so Walter went into another room and grabbed the friend's samurai sword. Now let's get this out of the way right now. There has never been a happy ending to any story that involves a samurai sword. And that includes any story involving actual samurai. And this story is no exception as Walter rushed his friend and slashed him with the samurai sword in the face and upper shoulder. Fortunately for his friend, Walter then dropped the sword and ran away. A neighbor across the way reported hearing screams from that apartment and saw the victim open his door while screaming and covered in blood. When the neighbor asked what had happened, the victim said, Walter stabbed me with the samurai sword, which is not what the neighbor expected to hear, I'm sure. But then again, I don't know how well the neighbor knows Walter. So maybe the neighbor's response was, again? This is not how you're supposed to do the news. I'm ad-libbing hypotheticals and I just want you to know, I think it's unethical. The police are yet to locate Walter, so if you live in the area, maybe you can help. If you see a 25-year-old homeless guy walking around without an Xbox, call the Daytona Beach Police. Their number's on Google. Florida Man story number two comes at you from beautiful Lakeland, Florida, where a man was sentenced to 30 years for robbing a Dollar Tree 12 times in three years. That's right, Scott Carpenter Jr., son of Scott Carpenter, committed at least 13 armed robberies across the Tampa area, and 12 of those robberies targeted Dollar Trees. So at least it wasn't the same Dollar Tree every time. Here's his M.O. Carpenter dressed in all black and waited for the Dollar Tree employees to close for the night. He would then either jump out and accost the employees while they walked out of the store, or he would follow an employee to a nearby bank to drop the night deposit and accost them there. Either way, he always brandished a gun and he always demanded money. That makes it armed robbery. Now, I was a detective for a long time, and I have to say, Scott Carpenter Jr. is definitely the first armed robber I've ever heard of that specializes in robbing Dollar Trees. And I think that's mainly because everything there only costs a dollar. So I don't think there's much money to be gained from robbing them. You'd be better off robbing a gas station and using the $600 from that robbery to buy your own Dollar Tree franchise. Food for thought. If you're a Tenderfoot Plus subscriber, keep enjoying your ad-free experience. For everyone else, we'll be right back after this break. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. 
Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Let's go to Anchorage, Alaska, home of the dumbest and worst woman in the Northern Hemisphere. Meet Denali Dakota Sky Bremer, a 23-year-old woman with 99 years to sit in prison and think about what she did. Bremer was convicted of orchestrating the murder of her developmentally disabled friend, Cynthia Hoffman, in a murder-for-hire plot. And she wasn't the person doing the hiring. She was the person hired. And she was hired by a fake millionaire she met online who, of course, was catfishing her. The fake millionaire was Darren Schillmiller of New Salisbury, Indiana. He offered her $9 million to take photos and record video of the rape and murder of anyone in Alaska she wanted, as long as she shared the photos and video with him. New Salisbury, Indiana is now known as the home of the dumbest and worst man in the Northern Hemisphere. He and Bremer meeting online might be the best argument yet for doing away with the internet for good. Because two people this stupid and this sadistic that live nearly 4,000 miles from each other should never be able to meet. According to court records, Brayman offered a list of candidates to Schillmiller and he selected her friend Cynthia as the victim. Brayman then elicited the help of four other depraved idiots to do the dirty work, convincing them they could get a cut of this fake $9 million bounty. So once she had assembled her team, they took Cynthia to Thunderbird Falls. They went off trail and followed a path to the river where Cynthia was bound with duct tape, shot in the back of the head, and thrown into the river. Bremer documented the entire monstrous event on Snapchat and shared it directly with Schillmiller. Bremer was eventually arrested, and once she realized that she had been catfished or tricked by Schillmiller, she told authorities everything. And Schillmiller confessed to his role as well, which also earned him a 99-year prison sentence which was the maximum he and Bremer could be given because Alaska does not have the death penalty, which is fine, but this case does make me wish they could freeze them in like a giant block of ice or something, you know what I mean? Like Alaska has so much ice. Let's use it for something good. I'm gonna be honest with you. Funeral directors creep me out. And I don't mean this in a bad way because some of you may have family members that are funeral directors, but I just don't want to spend time around them. And I'm going to blame it on the movies I've watched, but I just find them creepy. And this story certainly doesn't help. A woman's body and the cremated remains of at least 30 others were found stashed inside the rented Denver home of a failed funeral director during his eviction. Here's what happened. 
the landlord asked the police to stand watch while they carried out the court-ordered eviction of their tenant, Miles Hartford. Hartford was the owner of Apollo Funeral and Cremation Services, which had gone out of business. According to police, when Hartford's business was in financial trouble, he wasn't exactly meeting his end of the funeral and cremation services he was being paid for. He was so in debt to crematories in the area, they wouldn't carry out cremations for him. So in many cases, he would give families the cremains of strangers. Dozens of temporary urns, many of which were filled with cremains, were found stored in the home's crawl space, and several more were found in an old hearse that was broken down in the backyard. That's also where they found the body of a 63-year-old woman who died of natural causes in August 2022. According to police, Hartford handed the woman's family someone else's cremains while he had her body hidden under a blanket in his car. This guy lives in my nightmares. Some of the other cremains they found are from deaths dating all the way back to 2012. So he's been doing this creepy shit for over a decade. And now investigators are left with the nearly impossible task of identifying the 30 other deceased people. And I say nearly impossible because the intense heat during cremation destroys any usable DNA. So Hartford now faces charges of abuse of a corpse, forgery, and theft. And worst of all, he's managed to strengthen the stereotype I have in my head that all funeral directors play creepy little games with the dead. So I hope you're happy with yourself, Hartford. Let's wrap this episode up with a story that feeds right into another one of my mini mantras. And that is, never date a judge. Unless they're a judge on America's Got Talent. But regular judges, they have too much power. The balance of power in the relationship tips way too heavily in their favor. So trust me, it's a recipe for disaster. Here's the story. A Pennsylvania judge shot her ex-boyfriend in the head while he was asleep. Then after he didn't die, she tried to convince him that he shot himself while he was asleep. This is such a judge thing to do. Judge Sonia McKnight was charged with first-degree attempted murder and aggravated assault charges for shooting Michael McCoy in his Harrisburg area home. According to an affidavit, McCoy had tried numerous times to end this one-year relationship with Judge McKnight. He also tried multiple times to get her to move out of his house, but she refused. Make me get out. I'm a judge. That's what I imagine she said every time. And on this fateful day, McCoy had returned home from a night out at a local tavern to find Judge McKnight relaxing on his couch in her pajamas. Again, he told her she needed to leave, saying this time that he would call her mother if he had to. And even judges don't want to deal with the wrath of their mother, so finally, she left. And naive Michael McCoy thought things were finally over between them. So he went to bed with what I imagine was a serenity that he had not experienced since being in his mother's womb. But later, at some point in the night, he was awoken by massive head pain, and he couldn't see. He panicked, he started screaming in pain and confusion. And then Judge McKnight, who wasn't even supposed to be in the house, came running into the bedroom and asked, Mike, what did you do to yourself? 
Then Judge McKnight called 911 to report that her estranged boyfriend had shot himself in the head while he was asleep. And emergency responders rushed to McCoy's aid where they found a gunshot wound to the right temple that exited his left temple. And before he was taken away by ambulance, McCoy told police at the scene that he did not shoot himself. And he repeated that all the way to the hospital and once he arrived at the hospital. And both McCoy and Judge McKnight said no one besides them was in the home during the shooting. So who should they believe? I mean, one of them is a judge and one of them isn't. Well, fortunately, McCoy had the right investigators on the case and they found a gun registered to Judge McKnight at the scene, and only one hour after the shooting, she was found to have gunshot residue on her hands. Judge McKnight had also told investigators that she didn't leave the home on the night of the shooting. But these investigators, more than worthy of the title, checked the ring footage from the neighbor's house, which clearly showed her leaving the house and eventually returning before the shooting. So Judge McKnight is in big trouble. She's been suspended from her duties and is being held on a $300,000 bond. She's been charged with first-degree attempted murder, and if convicted, she faces up to 40 years in prison. And let Michael McCoy's story and the words I'm about to give you be a lesson to any of you that are still in the dating game. No judges. That's it for me today, so tune in tomorrow for Laura Benson. I'll see you on Friday. Happy President's Day, by the way. Enjoy that new mattress. This Day in Crime is a production of Tenderfoot TV in partnership with Odyssey, produced in association with Burning Mountain Productions. Sources for today's episode and full credits can be found in the show notes, and you can follow us on social media at This Day in Crime. We're back at it tomorrow. Thanks for listening.